about a couple times a year, uh, something happens in the life of the church, and uh, it, it just blows me away. It moves me in places that I don't usually talk about and people don't usually see. And uh, last Sunday, we took an offering up for uh, what's going on in Haiti. It's part of our regular elders fund. I was out of the office on Monday, and on Tuesday, I came in and inquired as to what the amount was for that offering. And uh, I was so blown away that I, I couldn't even talk about it for about two days. On Thursday, I wrote a letter to Food for the Hungry, which is what we took the offering up for. And I want to read you the letter that I wrote. It's to Matt Panis, who's the Vice President of Ministry Partnerships and Resources for Food for the Hungry. And I wrote, Dear Matt, in light of the devastating earthquake that has hit the country of Haiti this week, the congregation of Scottsdale Bible Church has taken up a special offering to be used to bring physical, spiritual, and relational relief to those affected in Haiti. It is our hope that through these financial resources, your staff and ministry partners might be better equipped in responding to the crisis that we are all concerned about. In a show of support unprecedented in the history of Scottsdale Bible Church, our people responded to the call presented last Sunday by giving $135,000 toward the current need in Haiti. Our gift total includes $6,000 of checks that were directly made out to food for the hungry and already presented. It is now to you that we entrust these God-provided funds to be his hands and his feet on the ground in Port-au-Prince and the surrounding areas. Please know that our prayers go with this gift. Please know as well that our church believes deeply in God's work in and through food for the hungry. It is our joy and pleasure to partner with you in doing all we can to help those in need. On behalf of the members and friends of Scottsdale Bible Church, Jamie Rasmussen. Wow. You know, we had talked last Sunday about the fact that we're his hands and that we're his feet. We're in a three-week series on just talking about service and how we all serve to bring a cup of cold water in Jesus' name uh, to a hurting world. And it was just one of those moments where, in a positive way, I was so incredibly proud to be your pastor and so incredibly proud to serve with you here at Scottsdale Bible Church. And so let's just continue to follow through in the weeks and months that our prayers and our continued support go with the people in Haiti. They got a very, very steep road and a long road ahead of them, and uh, yet I, I believe that we are in this with them and uh, with food for the hungry, and again, I'm, I'm just blown away. So nothing more to be said on that. Let's just pray and dive right into his word. Father, thank you that uh, through your people, you really do affect change in this world. God, it's no secret that there are times where people take a lot of pot shots at Christians and at the church, and I'm sure at times we deserve them. And yet, Lord, there's moments like this where we realize the incredible good, the incredible love, the incredible tangible support that you want to do in and through your church. And so, God, I thank you that a church like this that has been so blessed uh, is very willing and wanting to be a blessing to others. And so, God, in following through, we would pray that our uh, prayers and our support would be used mightily in Haiti. Uh, Lord, even as we are here in this comfortable place this morning, there's a lot of discomfort and pain going on there. And so, Lord, we know that our prayers and our financial resources, even for some of us that might be going over there, God, we would pray that you would knit that together into both relief as well as into spiritual and relational vitality that those folks need. God, as we uh, talk about service here this morning, we would pray that, uh, that you'd be pleased. 
And that, Lord, as we talk about how we can continue to up the ante in our lives by laying our lives down for you, truly surrendering all, and then taking up the serving towel and serving, God, would you give us wisdom on that? Speak to each of our hearts individually now, we pray. We're open to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we all know this truth about life, and that is that we only get one go-around, right? We only get one go-around in life. And after our one go-around, our bodies are going to stop working. The soul, the Bible tells us, will go on to an eternal world beyond this where we get to finally and fully meet God. And the Bible tells us that when each of us get to meet God someday, he is going to be very interested in whether we understood our purposes here on planet earth. First and foremost, he's going to be interested in what we did with our knowledge of our sin and the offer of forgiveness through faith and faith alone in his son Christ. That's the Christian truth claim. In other words, did we or did we not respond positively to the offer of eternal life with God through faith in his son Jesus? And this will determine our eternal destiny. God's going to be very interested in what we did with Jesus. And yet from there, the Bible also tells us that once this is settled, settled, God is going to be further interested in what we did with our lives once we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. So for instance, he may ask, did you learn to worship me wholeheartedly and regularly as a way of connecting with me and keeping your focus on me? He just might ask us that. Or he might ask, did you understand that you were formed and saved to follow me? What I call in my word discipleship. And did you follow me the best that you could? He might even ask, and did you realize that you were created to live in community with other like-minded believers, learning not to go it alone, but to give and receive grace and truth as a way of journeying with others in your very short life? And though the Bible makes clear that our eternal standing with God is not going to be based on the answers to these questions, only what we did with Jesus will determine our eternal standing, the Bible also says that God is nevertheless very interested in the answers to these questions and more because don't miss this, our purpose on planet earth is determined by what we do with our worship and what we do with our fellowship, and whether we decide to truly follow and become a disciple of Jesus Christ. There are things that God is very interested in, in this one go-around that we have on earth. And the answers to these questions are going to determine the meaning, purpose, joy that we have in our lives. And not stopping here, God has also added another clear purpose to our lives, and one that I believe he's very much going to ask us about when we finally breathe our last breath and go to be with him. And it has everything to do with this topic before us, service. This topic before us, service. Because you see, the Bible makes it really clear that you and I have been wired to serve. Or, or to put it in a sentence form, look up here on the screen, you are shaped for serving God. From birth, as you grew up from a little guy or gal to the point where you became a believer and follower of Christ, you've been shaped by God for serving. And make no mistake, folks, this idea of service, both service to God by serving others, is a key purpose in which you and I have been put here on planet Earth. And as we shall see, even as we go along this morning, it's also a purpose that carries with it some amazing side benefits like joy, meaning, and contentment that get added to your life when you finally get that we're here to serve. 
Now, to help us make sense of all this, I want to share with you today three key truths that the Bible makes really clear about service. Three truths that make all the difference when you add them up in helping you and I finally and fully get what it means to serve God with all that he has blessed us with. And so let's start real basic. We've already hinted to this this morning, but let's make sure that we all fully get this first point, and it's simply this, that, you were, or that God saved you so that you could serve him. Did you know that? That's where the Bible starts. God saved you. He called you into his kingdom for one of the primary purposes, and that is to serve him. In other words, one of the primary reasons God called you into his kingdom, if you have accepted Christ in your life, is so that you can truly and finally make a dent in this world by serving him. And in so doing, as I said, find meaning, peace, purpose, and joy. God couldn't be more clear about this, folks. Look at what he says in his word. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It says this. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, now get this, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. So focus on that little phrase, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Interesting. The two verses right before that make it really clear that good works do not save us, right? Give me a head nod that you get this. Only faith in Jesus Christ saves us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 make that so incredibly clear. And yet after this, notice that it says there in verse 10 that you've now been created in Christ in other words, brought into a relationship with Christ, into his kingdom, so that you might do good works that help others, that you might serve him. Do you see that there? In other words, you were saved so that you might contribute, not just consume. You were made to make a difference, to make a donation to this world via the kingdom of God. And I would simply submit to you folks that it's the people who know this, and more importantly, the people who live this, that have found a key purpose in life that gives them an incredible sense of meaning and contentment. Kind of like what we saw with Michael up there on the screen. These are people who have realized that their search for self-esteem and self-worth is not going to come from looking within or from making more money or from massing more toys or from getting more recognition from society. No, it's going to come from turning their sights toward others and realizing that they have been shaped by God to serve. These people know that it's not one's status or salary or success that determines how one feels about oneself, but one's service. That's the key to finding purpose and joy here. You know, this is precisely what the famous missionary doctor, Albert Schweitzer, who many of you have heard of, was getting at when he said this. Look up here on the screen. He said, one thing I know, the only ones among you who will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. And he's right. He learned that in his life about 50 or 60 years ago. That's why he became so famous. And hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of other people in this world have found that as well. That as they learn to serve, they find that niche, that sweet spot, when it comes to that contentment that we're looking for. Uh, Catherine Su was born in Fuzhou, China in 1914. 
And unlike many people in China at that time, she was fortunate enough to be born into a Christian family in which this purpose of serving others, of making a donation to this world, was drilled into her as a young girl. And so early on, Catherine wanted to become a doctor. In her say, she saw many terrible diseases like typhoid and diphtheria ravaging her people. And then her younger brother and sister both were taken and died by tuberculosis. And that did it for her, believing that being a doctor was a great purpose being given to her by God. She prayed that he would provide a way for her. And her promise back to him was that if she ever became a doctor, she would always see it as a ministry and never charge her patients for her services. Don't make promises like that to God, folks, because they just might come true. And it did for Catherine Sue. Uh, winning a full scholarship to Peking Union Medical College, one of only three applicants accepted that year. She went on to become a physician upon graduating and devoted her life to conquering tuberculosis. Moving here to the state, she joined the staff at the Pennsylvania Tuberculosis Hospital for Children, where she witnessed the latest research of using isoniazid to kill TB germs. And her immediate thought was, and she believes that this came from the Lord, was why not use this drug to prevent children from getting sick? In other words, this isn't a drug that we use just to treat TB, but could use, be used to, be, to prevent TB. At that time, the hospital had no outlet to test her concept, so once again she prayed about it. And about a year later, she received a letter from a place that she had never heard of, Houston, Texas. At that time, around the middle of the 20th century, some of you might remember this, Houston was in trouble. Tuberculosis outbreaks were rampant and killing many children. And the chief of pediatrics at the Baylor College of Medicine invited Catherine to initiate a tuberculosis control program for the, children's, or for the city's children. And so moving to Houston for the next six years, Sue converted a rundown boarding school into a children's TB clinic and began treating patients. After some initial success, a local millionaire funded a full transformation of the clinic and it turned into a modern-day hospital. And remembering her vow to make this a ministry, Catherine Sue spent the next 30 years of her life conducting the longest TB prevention study in the known history of medicine. Tracking the progress of more than 3,000 children, she proved that isoniazid could be used to prevent TB-infected patients from becoming sick. And from this original project, she initiated a case registry that is still used today. She founded six clinics in high-risk areas. She has maintained a 75 to 80 percent recovery rate. And true to her word, in over 50 years of practicing medicine, she has never once charged a patient for her services. Can you imagine? And as if all of this were not enough, she has even used all of her medical awards to fund scholarships for students and missionaries. And you and I say, whoa. After receiving the coveted Distinguished Achievement Award from the American Thoracic Society in 1994, listen to what she says in her own words about why and how she has done what she has done. This is so amazing. She says, this is not my own achievement, but what God has wrought by his mighty power. What you cannot do, God will work out for you. Then you become an instrument of God's will. That is a great privilege. Uh, folks, I don't know about you, but I don't think that Catherine Sue struggles with finding ultimate meaning and purpose in this world. Do you? I mean, I don't think she wakes up every day going, I wonder what the Lord wants me to do. I wonder what's going to bring contentment and joy to my life today. 
I think she knows. It's through relating to him as her heavenly father, through focusing on Christ, through worshiping, and it's also through service, through using the gifts and the passions that God has given her to serve others and to pour into others. She has realized a key purpose for living. It's called service. She has realized that God has saved her so that she could serve him. And with dogged determination and laser beam focus, she has served him by serving others. That's purpose. That's what God has called each and every one of us to do, to use the gifts and resources he has given us to serve others. You know, as many of you know, I've been here just about two years. I came here from uh, Cleveland, Ohio area. And I was serving my home church who sent me into the ministry uh, years and years ago for the six years before I came here. The associate pastor at that church died in 2008. I went back for his funeral. He was one of my closest friends, died in his mid-50s, a guy by the name of Doug Flood. Doug has an interesting story. He went to Wheaton College, spent six years on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and then he was 30 years the associate pastor at Fellowship Bible Church just outside of Cleveland. And as you can imagine, spending 30 years at a church that started off with just a few families and eventually grew to be about 1,400 people, he was the backbone of this church. He ran the money. He ran the missions. He ran the facilities, the adult education. Everybody knew Doug. He was very loved very deeply. In 1998, when I was still pastoring in Detroit, Doug got cancer. He got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. They initially had some hope for it. They did a very drastic treatment program called a stem cell transplant, one of the most difficult things Doug ever went through in 1998, and it failed. It didn't cure his non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And they said, Doug, you probably only have a few years to live. In 2001, I became the new senior pastor at Fellowship Bible Church, and uh, after getting there, Doug pulled me aside and in a very tender moment said to me, Jamie, I just have one request of you as our new pastor and as now my new boss. He said, my request is simply this. In 1998, he said, the elders had me six feet under way before I had even died. He said they had just figured that when I got the sentence of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and the stem cell transplant failed, that I was done and gone for. And they started to change my job description and in a very real way started to move me out. He said, my only request for you is that if you're the pastor here, please don't count me out until I'm out. I looked at Doug and I said, you got my word. I will not count you out until you tell me that you're out. And from 2002, folks, to 2008, I have never seen anything like what this man did. We never knew when Doug might go. We got a scare in 2003 that his tumor load was getting very heavy, that was threatening some vital organs, and through tears at a local restaurant, we basically realized he might just have months to live. But then they started a radical chemo program that his body responded to, and the tumors started to shrink, and he was back at work the next week. This man went through so much on a physical level, I, I couldn't even begin to tell you stories. He'd have surgery on body parts, and he'd be in that afternoon in his office. He had wounds that wouldn't heal because he was a very large man, and he had diabetes, and so he had wounds on his leg that just wouldn't heal, and he lived with those for six, seven years in the office every day. He had radiation that was twice the amount of lifetime limit in his life, radiation, and it was so severe that he had no more saliva glands left. He walked around with water, constantly drinking water just to keep his mouth wet, and he was at work every day. At one point, a tumor was behind his eye, and his eye was bulging, and it was so gross that he put a patch on it so that other people wouldn't see it, but he didn't want to miss work, so he came in looking like a pirate every day for work. 
Eventually, radiation took care of that tumor. Every time a tumor came up, they seemed to knock it down, chemotherapy. And during all of this, Doug took us through a building expansion, four staff hires, financial and facility growth, and he ran our missions program. Twice he took a group to China. You guys ever gone through security? He got stops in security because the radiation in him set off the security zone. I mean, that's how much this guy was going through. And he just served like crazy. One day, his wife Linda said to me with tears toward the end, she said, Jamie, you have no idea what a gift you gave him. I said, gift I gave him? I just paid him and allowed him to work here. She said, no, it was much more than that. She said, you allowed him to serve. Now listen, and she said, and it's his service to God that keeps him going. She said, you wonder how he can come in a day after surgery? It's because he loves to serve and he finds meaning and joy in that. You wonder how he can take two trips to China in his last days? It's because he loves to serve and he gets meaning and purpose in doing that. Doug eventually died, as I mentioned, in March of 2008. And the stories at his funeral were powerful. You see, service is that powerful, folks. We find our niche. God empowers it and uses it. And as a side benefit, we get incredible joy in so doing. And so once you get this, here then becomes the $10 question for any of us who are tracking with this. And that is, how do you know where and in what ways to serve? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, out of the hundreds, if not thousands of avenues to serve God in today, how do you know which one to choose? How do you know which one is going to bring the kind of fulfillment that people like Catherine Sue and my friend Doug have found? And the answer is going to be refreshingly surprising to some of you, even to some of you who have been hanging around church for a long time. Because not everybody has understood this second truth, this second biblical truth about serving. And so here it is. Look up here on the screen. And that is that God has uniquely designed you to serve him. He has. In fact, if you don't hear anything else this morning, this is what I need you to hear. He saved you to serve him, but he didn't stop there. He's also uniquely designed each and every one of us here to serve him as well. How do we know this is true? Well, I want to read for you a passage that I read you last week, but we're going to see it from a little bit of a different angle this morning. It's 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 7. And look up here on the screen. Here's what it says. It says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, for the common good. Now, you might read this passage and go, huh? What is it saying? Two things that I want you to notice about this that are very important. First, notice that word varieties. Do you see that there? It's hard to miss. Three times repeated in verses 4 through 6, telling us that there are lots of different gifts, lots of different ministries, and lots of different results or activities. In other words, God has made things so wonderfully diverse and with lots of variety, which simply means, for those of you who appreciate freedom, lots of choice. Lots of different avenues of choice in which you can serve God within. And then, as you're pondering that, notice the kill shot in verse 7. It says, and to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. To each one. Which means in this context that a gift 
and an area of service and a result or an activity has been given to every follower of Jesus Christ. So if you are a believer in Jesus here today and breathing, then a boatload of resources have been given to you just by being a believer in Christ that enable you to find your particular niche in serving God and other people. Don't miss this, folks. God has uniquely and intricately wired you, both from creation as well as in your redemption, when he made you as well as when he saved you, with a personal set of resources that allow you to serve him in exactly the right area. Lots of variety, and to each one is given some kind of gift, some kind of service, some kind of activity or resolve. I love how Rick Warren says it in his very popular book from a few years back, The Purpose Driven Life. Now listen to what he says. He says, before God created you, he decided what role he wanted you to play on earth. He planned exactly how he wanted you to serve him, and then he shaped you for those tasks. You are the way you are because you were made for a specific ministry. And he's right. Catherine Sue found that out. My friend Doug found that out. And the point is, is that you can find this out. And so the only question becomes, what are these resources? What has God given us that will enable us to find our particular service and activity or ministry? And I've spent a lot of time over the years thinking about this. I really have. I mean, I think one of my uh, most profound contributions to the church is in helping people get involved in service because it's so core to what the body of Christ is about. And so a few years ago, when I was noodling on this, after, after having taught seminars on this for years, I was trying to think of a kind of a creative, memorable way to help people understand all the resources God has blessed them with. And I came up with an acrostic. This doesn't happen very often, folks, so you're going to want to tune into this. I came up with an acrostic. And the acrostic was simply this, that God has spent, that's the acrostic, spent a lot on you to allow you to serve him. And spent stands for this. I'm going to give it to you up front, and then we're going to walk through each one very briefly. Spent stands for spiritual gifts, passions, experiences, natural talents, and a unique temperament. A temperament. Spiritual gifts, passion, experience, natural, natural talents, and then temperament. You add all those up, and you will see that God is uniquely gifted, each and every one of you here, to serve him. And so the S stands for spiritual gifts. Bible couldn't be more clear. Romans 12, verse 6 says this. It says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. Don't you love it when the Bible's clear? Having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. So then the question becomes, what are spiritual gifts? Now, and I'm going to explain this a lot more in that seminar that Pat mentioned that we're going to be teaching in February to the first 500 of you that sign up, and then we're going to videotape it for the rest of you. But, but, but a spiritual gift is basically this. The Bible says this. At the moment that you became a Christian, God decided to give you a spiritual gift. Uh, 22 of them are mentioned in the New Testament. He decided to make you really good at something, a, a gifting inside that kind of goes a notch above the average believer. And so some of you are really good at hospitality. Some of you are really good at showing mercy. Some of you are really good at helps and just lending a helping hand. Some of you are really good at teaching. Some of you are really good at speaking truth in a timely moment. 
Some of you are really good at prayer. Lots of different gifts that the Bible has given us, and the scriptures make it really clear, or that God has given us, and the Bible makes it really clear that each believer has at least one spiritual gift. And so the reality is, is that when you discover that gift, you're well on your way to knowing where to serve. I don't have time to tell you the whole story today, folks, but i got to tell you, this can revolutionize your service. I became a Christian, as many of you know, back in 1981, having not grown up in the church at all. And for the next seven years, you know where they have me serve? Where do they have young men serve when they don't know where to put them to serve? The youth ministry, right? They figure you can't mess up teens more than they're already messed up, so just to have young guys work with teens. And, and in the teen ministry, I mean, I wasn't really teaching because I was a new Christian. It wasn't, they just had me shepherd these teens. You know, they, here's five of them, Jamie. Don't mess them up too much. They're yours for the next year. So I became a shepherd of teens. Shepherding is actually a gift mentioned in the scriptures. And so for seven years, I poured into teens, and I was fair at it. There's a reason that you all didn't hire me to be your youth pastor. Because I proved over seven years that it's not very gifted or impassioned with teenagers. I barely do well with my three. And additionally, I'm not really great at shepherding. Again, we can define it more in the seminar what shepherding is. But, but in 1989, I went and interned at a church. And the first question they asked me is what my spiritual gifts were. And I said, well, I, I'm pretty good at studying. And I like to play basketball and, you know, all these things. And they said, didn't you just graduate from seminary? You're an idiot. And they put me through this seminar on spiritual gifts. And they helped me understand that out of 22 different gifts, guess what two that I have? Leadership and teaching. That's it. Not a real good mercy giver. Not a real good hospitality person. Not a real good shepherd. But really good, because God has gifted me, at teaching and leadership. And I just got to tell you, revolutionized my life. Got out of youth ministry got out of full-time shepherding mode, and got involved in using about 80% of my time because the other 20% does need to go to things that I just have to do to keep the ministry going. But I spend about 80% of my time in teaching and leadership. Some of you have been dissatisfied in your serving of God because you've never discovered your gifts. You've been dissatisfied because it's like in a hit-or-miss fashion. You know, they've said get involved here because you're kind of a warm body, but it's not a gift area. And so the goal for you is to discover what gift God has given you. We want to help you do that. I'll tell you more about that in a minute here. And going further, know the second thing that God has resourced and equipped us with, and that is with a, a passion. So not just a technical area of strength like a gift, but also an excitement of heart, a deep down emotion, an area of desire in you to serve in a certain particular area. That's what you're saying. Is that biblical? I think so. Look at 1 Corinthians 3 verses 5 and 6. People have been trying to make sense of this passage for years. It says, what then is Apollos, what is Paul, servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each? Now listen, he says, I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, and it was God who gave the growth. It's interesting. You can search 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4. You will not find a spiritual gift of planting or a spiritual gift of watering. So most likely, these are not spiritual gifts being talked about here. So what are they? I think they're areas of passion. I think Paul the Apostle said, you know what I love to do with the gifts God has given me? I love to bounce around from church to church, planting them, getting them started, and then moving on to the next hill to climb. 
But Apollos, if you could see them having a discussion, was like, well, that's weird. Why would you want to do that? I don't have a desire to do that, Paul. I have a desire to stay. stick to That's the name of the game. And I have a passion to stay in this church and help it grow and help it mature and help it see where God's going to take it. You see, they had different passions that their giftedness obviously complemented. And so what we learn from this and other scriptures is that God has most likely put a passion in each of our hearts to serve him in a particular area. And now the door's been flung wide open, hasn't it? We're talking everything from teen ministry to seniors ministry, from social issues like equality to spiritual issues like discipleship, from tangible things like teaching the Word of God to intangible things like helping people trust God more, from prayer to hospitality to those hurting to sports ministry to creative arts and music, all examples of passions that I've seen God give people over the years, anything that God places on your heart. And so the question becomes, as you're trying to decide where to serve Him, is what gets you fired up? But what gets you excited in ministry? When you read the newspaper, what really bothers you? Sometimes that's an area of passion. Your heart gets pumping over those issues. And though we don't have time to talk about this morning, i got to tell you, one of the most tender things between me and Scottsdale Bible is how so much of this ministry has been driven by God-honoring passion. Over the years, when Daryl, when somebody comes to Daryl and say, why don't we have a ministry like this in the church? You know what Daryl would say? Good point. Why don't you start one? Good point. Why don't you do something with that passion that God has given you? And so we have seen dozens and dozens of ministries, some of them having national prominence coming out of this church. Uh, Kay Engstrom had a passion for little kids and started CFCA. Kit Danley had a passion for the poor down in the city, started neighborhood ministries. Susan Miller had a passion for people that move into the area, which like is a lot of people in Phoenix, and, and had trouble adjusting there. He just started a ministry called Just Moved. Steve Allman had a passion for the family, started the Allman Family Offices. Dave Hall, one of our elders, has a passion for evangelism. He's going on 20 years now as a chairman of Luis Palau's board and has a driving passion for lost people. You get the picture. Lots and lots of passion in this church, and we're not done. We need you as well to ask God, what is your passion? So you got gifts, you got passions, and then obviously you got experience. Uh, Paul the Apostle says something very interesting in Philippians 1.19. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Whenever I've read that passage, I've always thought this. I thought, well, how did he know that their prayers and that the Spirit was going to deliver him. You ever thought about that? He's that word, no, I know this is going to happen. I think he knew through past experience of God doing this before. In other words, like many of us, he had been there before. He knew that God answers prayers, and he knew that the Spirit is faithful and good. So he knew that God was going to deliver him again. You see, that's what God does. He uses our experiences, all of them, good and bad, as they are surrendered to him to shape us and to serve him. I like how John Piper, a great modern-day pastor and theologian, says it in a book he wrote a few years back. Look up here on the screen. This is great. He says, The difference between Uncle Sam and Jesus Christ is that Uncle Sam won't enlist you unless you're healthy, and Jesus Christ won't enlist you unless you're sick. He says the gospel is not a help-wanted ad. It's a help-available ad. God is not looking for people to work for him, but people who let him work mightily in and through him. Amen? I mean, he's right. What God wants us to do, and that's why we sang this song today, is to surrender to him, to lay it all down for him, 
to lay all of our experiences, the most hurtful ones in the past, as well as the most joyous ones in the past, and give them all over to him and say, use me, God. I'm a wealth of experience of what you've done in me and empowered by your Holy Spirit. I think you could use some of the stuff I've been through to help impact the kingdom of God. So you got spiritual gifts. You got passions. You got experience. And then we don't have time to really talk about this too much today, but you got natural talents too. And again, I'll go into this more in the seminar, but natural talents are similar to spiritual gifts with one big difference. And that's that natural talents have been given to every human being through genetics at the time of birth, spiritual gifts given to believers at the time of conversion. And so think about it. Every human being then, because they are made in the image of Almighty God from birth, has a slate of natural talents. And the reality is God wants to use those to benefit his kingdom. Some of you are numbers people from birth. Man, your mom told you when you were young, you really got an aptitude for math. You're just numbers people. Some of you are work-with-your-hands type of people. You, you were that way since you were a little guy or gal. Some of you are naturally verbose people. I know that because you talk to me a lot. And, and your parents would tell me that, man, they've been like that ever since they came out of the womb. Uh, some of you are naturally industrious people. Some of you are naturally athletic. Some of you are naturally mechanical. Uh, we know the point. God has given us natural talents. He has spent a lot on you. Spiritual gifts, passions, experience, natural talents, and then he's also given us temperaments, just simply a unique personality, a way of functioning, a way of relating, behaving, and feeling, and thinking that can be a key influence on where and how you're going to serve. Some of you are more extroverted in nature. You just love being with people. Some of you are more introverted. Some of you are more thinkers in your orientation. You're always analyzing things. Some of you are more feeling-oriented people. Some of you are really flexible and open. You love variety. And some of you are real high-control people like me. And you love closure and you love consistency. These can be key in finding the right area to serve God in. Psalm 139, verses 14 and 15 says it best. It says, praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. You see, God has made each of us with a unique personality, wonderfully complex and diverse. And so add it all up, folks. He has resourced you like no other part of creation. That's the cool thing. What did Catherine Sue discover? What did Doug Flood discover? Simply the fact that they've been given spiritual gifts, that they've been given a passion, her for medicine, him for the church. They've been given lots of experiences that God wants to use. Natural talents from birth, even a unique temperament that might help us nudge us in a certain direction or not. And the point is, God has gifted you that way too. Every one of you here today. And he wants you to be a player in his church, a player in his kingdom. And so this is the year of service here at Scottsdale Bible Church. It really is. Our elders have set a goal at my urging that we want 75% of our people by the end of this year, 75% of folks who sit in a pew to find some area of service and or at least fellowship in the church. That's a lofty goal. We estimate that only about half of our folks right now are involved in some area of service. And it might be within the walls of this church. It might be out in the community. Hey, it's all God's kingdom. But the reality is, is that we want to help you discover your gifts, passions, experiences, talents, temperament, and then get involved. So on December, what was it, the uh, 12th and 13th, we are going, December, February 12th and 13th, we're going to do a seminar here at the church. 
We're going to videotape it. We're probably going to make it into a webinar and a video thing as we go along. But, but we're going to teach it. I'm going to teach it initially here, and then Steve Erickson's going to take it over. But this very first time, he and I are going to teach it together, and it's called Discovery Workshop, and it's going to help you discover your gifts and your passions and your temperaments. It's going to be a lot of biblical teaching, uh, some assessments that you're going to take to help you understand where your giftedness lies. It's a Friday night, Saturday morning. And the first 500 people that sign up, they're the ones that get to be a part of this. And the rest of you are going to have to wait till it comes out on the web or video or whatever. Which, you know, some of you real high-control, nasty people are like, I'm waiting. But anyways, for the rest of you, I'd like you to consider coming to this and, uh, and signing up for this. And you can do it after church today. I can't wait to see where God's going to take us with this. Because, see, here's the goal that God has for us. And this is our wrap-up point. And that is that God's goal is that through serving, you will become a servant. That's what he's after. Uh, Jesus was all about serving that helped one become a servant. And that's what God says about you. He says, in an upwardly mobile world, I'd like you to be downwardly mobile. Because you see, Jesus came into an upwardly mobile world and he was downwardly mobile. And in so doing, he found God's will for his life. At Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, Jesus says this. He says, it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. So greatness comes through serving. And so saying it in a sentence, we say it like this. I was shaped for serving God. As we wrap up, let me just do a little exercise with you, and then we'll be done. I want to give you a little quiz to bring all this home to you this morning. See if you know the answer to any of these things. Do you know the name of the person who guided you into the parking lot here this morning? Do you know who's teaching your children right now? Do you know the names of the musicians who were on the stage earlier here in the service? Do you know the people who are producing the video image right now on the screen? Do you know the people who are volunteering at the bookstore this morning? How about those who will pick up trash in between services today so that the next service has a clean sanctuary? Do you know the people who stuff the bulletin that you're holding? How about those who handed it to you? How about those who are making coffee over there for the visitors? The truth is, is that them and hundreds more are all volunteers this morning and mostly anonymous volunteers. And it's all important, all of it. You see, real servants do every task as if it matters. Every task as if God just might use it to build his kingdom in and through us. And every servant in the church is what one author calls a hidden hero. It's true. We have tons of hidden heroes in this church. So Bob, the guy who's going to sell you a CD this morning of the service, if you want to get it, sells them to you every Sunday. He works here all throughout the week duplicating CDs, and he'll get no W-2 this January, no pay for his work. It's all volunteer. Dave and Mark are two guys who volunteer on our facility team, and they make sure the air conditioning's working, that the painting is updated, that the plumbing's working properly, and they have day jobs. Ken is a 74-year-old architect who constantly designs new and improved rooms for our church. He is here more hours than some of our staff, and yet his bank account is no bigger as a result, but his heart is. Uh, Bob and Mary have taught enrichment classes for years here at our church, pouring into individual lives week in and week out, shaping others with God's Word and their wisdom. Hey, get this, over 50 women and now six men run our kitchen ministry. 55, 60 people feeding hundreds each week, including each staff person on their birthday here at our church, and they smile and laugh with a contagious joy as they do so. Bill and Amy volunteer in our youth ministry, mentoring the mentors of our teenagers. 
Gordon's, one of our Stevens minister who visits people who are sick and hurting physically when he's not trying to sell real estate. Keith and Melanie work with couples who are experiencing marital breakdown, sharing their years of experiences with husbands and wives who are in trouble. Folks, I could go on and on. We have literally thousands of hidden heroes here at Scottsdale Bible Church, and only heaven someday will reveal how much they gave back to God with what he has blessed them with. But the point is we could sure use more. Every one of you is shaped for serving God. God has spent a lot on every one of you. And this is the year to get from the sidelines onto the field. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have pulled us together as a church and labeled us Scottsdale Bible Church. We're just one local expression, Lord, of millions, if not billions, of believers around the world. And so, Father, I pray that as we band together as a local church here in this town of Scottsdale, I pray, God, that you would all help us to find a place to serve. Lord, last week we learned that without service, there are no hands and feet of God on this earth because we are the body of Christ. And Lord, this week we've learned that we are each individually shaped for service. Help us to respond to that call. Lord, for any of us that doubt or have any questions, may we understand our gifts and our passions. May our experiences be used by you as well as our talents. May our temperament even nudge us into areas of service. And Lord, would you use us as you make us into servants downwardly mobile in an upwardly mobile world. May people take notice. May your kingdom be built. And may people find Jesus as a result of the love that we share. Thank you that this is your plan. Thank you that you've involved all of us. We look forward to what you're going to do. We pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. And all of us say together, amen. God bless you. We'll see you next week.